Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of underdog today i have an amazing guest here with me mike how are you my friend i'm great how are you doing excited to be here oh my god i'm doing awesome and even more awesome now that you're here because you're such a rock star in so many realms in real estate i'm just like i can't wait to hear mike's story in detail (laughs) thanks for letting me share it yeah it's truly an honor to have you here today truly you've built literally a real estate empire and I'm just honored to have you here and hear your story and before we get to the empire we got to know where it started so what inspired you on your journey to where you are today my friend you know I think that's a good question my wife always asked me like were you adopted why do you keep pushing forward on these things and you know I grew up in probably a lower middle class family I'd say in the midwest very much hard working class blue collar family and probably got you know a lot of my work ethic from there But I just kind of saw like struggle everywhere. Like I feel like it was just around me everywhere when I was growing up. And it's not like I I don't remember consciously thinking about it because we had a happy childhood, like loving family, like all that stuff. It wasn't like we were living under a bridge or anything like that. But and I didn't really know what I didn't know at the time. In hindsight now, it's like there's this big world out there that I didn't know about at the time. So I think there was just a seed planted somewhere deep inside of me that knew that I wanted more. And that just kind of evolved over time. And, you know, having the type of personality where when you get faced with something that seems overwhelming, like being able to push through and it just forces you to step up to the next stair, next stair, next stair all along the way and just kind of never being comfortable where you're at. I guess I probably do struggle on some levels with like enjoying the now because my wife's like, you're living in the future. Like a lot of people are living in the past. (laughs) It's not that I can't be happy now. It's that I know that tomorrow will be better than yesterday and next year will be better than last year. And I just keep pushing forward because that's what inspires me is to grow, I guess. I love that, Mike. I love that. So many similarities and parallels between uh, the way we grew up, the way I grew up as well is like, you know, when my parents came to the US, they had absolutely nothing. Like didn't know how to speak English, didn't know how to do it. And I watched everything go ground up. And I think there's something to be said when you see that around you, the hustle, it changes you at a young age absolutely does and I mean it was the same thing for me it's like everyone's like where do you get your work ethic I look at my parents that's it point blank they dropped everything to come here to this country of course I'm gonna work my tail off no question about it right that's what you do I love that so question for you what did you want to be when you grew up as a kid what was your dream I really didn't know truthfully that was one of the I think there was a turning point or something. So I was the first person in my family to go to college undergrad. And I think that changed a lot of things for me. And I don't really know what drove me. I mean, not that my parents were unsupportive, but they weren't able to help with that because they hadn't really been through that. Right. So I think my mom was super supportive in doing that because she knew that was probably a path to something better. But, you know, I really don't know. And I can tell you this at a really young age, for some reason, I was watching like CNBC and these like investing shows. It was like stock market investing, right? And I thought that's what I was interested in. And I actually got a degree in finance and investments in my undergrad. And then when I got out, I worked for a very large bank in Chicago. And I grew up in Illinois, by the way. I kind of got in and I was like, is this all it is? Like, I wasn't really in investments. It was kind of around me, but I was more of like an auditor. And it was like, this wasn't sexy. You know what happened is somebody told me, 
at this huge bank that I worked for, like all these like fund managers and stuff that were working there. And a bunch of my friends like built their way up to be managing funds and accounts and stuff like that. And their target was to try to beat the S&P 500. Almost nobody can beat the S&P 500 over a long period of time. And I'm like, well, why doesn't everybody just get rid of all these fund managers and put their money in the S&P 500? And for me, it was just like this, like, okay, so this is all just a bunch of bullshit and people could just put their money into a mutual fund, which I hate the stock market now. Like, I don't really want anything. I don't understand it. I feel like it's a game, you know, real estate is something tangible that I could really understand now. Um, so, so yeah, so <laughs> I wanted to be in investments, I think. And I'd always been kind of entrepreneurial, you know, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> that's where I ended up. But in the middle, I think I, I just wanted, I think maybe some of that's what pushed me forward is watching some of those shows and like looking at stocks and stuff like that, which I didn't even have any money. So I don't know why I was even looking at that stuff. But I think I started to get a taste for what it would feel like to have the good life a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. just because of commercials I saw or whatever. I think that planted a seed somewhere that there's something bigger out there for me, I guess. I love that. I love that. And so who, who was a big inspiration for you, Mike, like growing up or any in business? What was some of your biggest inspiration? You know, I guess I followed like Warren Buffett and people like that just because they were kind of unavoidable. Like they were, you know, there weren't podcasts and I'm like an old man now I'm going to date myself totally if I start saying too many things, but there were books out, but there weren't podcasts. There weren't really like documentaries on investing and stuff like that. It was just more of like, who are the famous investors that uh, do stuff. And so again, I think that married in with the work ethic of, uh, from my family, it just made me want to push harder for something. And, and now I, somewhere along the lines, I learned that kind of along the lines of if you work good, if you work hard, good things will happen, but you don't necessarily know what they're going to be. So sometimes I just, I just like dive into something knowing that I don't know what's going to happen, but I feel like something good is going to happen if I do this. And, you know, I'll say this, like you and I would never have met if I hadn't worked as hard and you as well, right? Like we just know if I work hard, I create value. I do these things over a long period of time, doors will open for me that I don't even know exist right now. Yes. Amen, Mike. Amen. And to really back to kind of like high school, going into college and like your career path and all that, because I mean, you've been an entrepreneur since you were young. I mean, the fact that you were drawn to investing shows at a young age, that was like me and Shark Tank. I would sit there and I would just sit there <laughs> and I was yeah. just watching and I'm like learning everything about business from like a young age. But even still at that point in time, like when I went off to college, I still was like, okay, I'm going to do four years. I'm going to do, get a business degree and go in for marketing. I'm going to work for somebody when I graduate. And then maybe when I'm 40, start a business. And then like everything right. shifted. So <laughs> how was your career trajectory kind of after high school? You mentioned that you went to college for finance. Yeah, I got a degree in undergrad degree in finance. I ultimately eventually went to my kind of the short version of the story is I got a degree in finance, got a job in Chicago that I mentioned for a large bank. Yep. And just wasn't real. It was just like an okay job. And I was kind of wanting more, kind of got tired of the weather. And it was like a day that we got like 26 inches of snow in one day. And I was just, I just like made this decision of like, I'm leaving Illinois for the first time in my life. And so within a few months I had moved down to Dallas and got another job that ultimately ended up being like the same. It was a different industry. It was for a large retailer, but it was the same type of function it was this like low level auditing, like financial analysis type stuff. And then I did have a relative, an aunt that had gone to get her MBA. And that probably inspired me a little bit. She was working on Wall Street and doing some, 
sexier things. And I actually went back to grad school, began an MBA at University of Texas in Austin. And that's where my wife and I actually met. She was in the same program, but it was a chance to reposition myself as something other than like a finance guy. And there were some like hardcore finance guys in this program. Like that's where they wanted to go. I wanted to pivot and go more towards like marketing and entrepreneurship and things like that. So use that opportunity to reposition myself. When I got out of grad school, ended up getting this uh, really crazy job, like highly unusual, where I was effectively like the apprentice for a CEO of a company running a $5 billion company. And so it was pretty amazing to like see all these things from, it was just highly unusual, flying around on private jets for meetings and doing all sorts of like amazing things and seeing it from a very different level. And I think even though it was inside of corporate America, because I was kind of working for a guy at the top, it was very entrepreneurial. There's like lots of ideas on where we're going to take the company, what are we going to do with this? Who can we partner with on that? And it wasn't so much like in the down on the, on the ground level of the drudgery of just a cog in the machine, like do the job, you know? And so I think I'd always been kind of entrepreneurial and that kind of inspired me for that. There's kind of more out there than a regular type job, but it was such a unique job that I couldn't replace that. So effectively long story is he ended up getting fired and I was his like outspoken right-hand man. So I was kind of like next in line and just collateral damage. Basically that was my first slap in the face of, cause I've always worked really hard, no, no matter if it's like mowing lawns when I was a kid, shoveling driveways in the winter, all the way up through all the jobs that I'd had at that point. And it was just this like significant slap in the face for me. That's like, wow, I don't have control over what happens here. Like there are people that are making decisions that impact me in a major way. And I, no matter how hard I work or what I create or what I do, those things don't matter or they might not matter. Or at least despite that, I might not have any control, you know? And then I went to another company, had a really exciting job, made more money than I had ever made in my life at that time. And after 18 months of being there, they filed for bankruptcy at that time. So my wife and I got married a few years earlier. My son was like two months old. We had moved to Washington, DC, by the way, like in a far off land where DC is crazy. We didn't really want to be there anyway. You know, it was just this realization of, I need to take control of the situation. I can't just put all my eggs in somebody else's basket. And that's really when the real estate stuff started. Ooh, now we must go next into the real estate career. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's awesome. That's awesome. I'm loving it. I'm, I'm, I'm here for it all. I'm like, then how did the real estate empire begin? Yeah. I mean, it started with one house, right? Just like anything. It just started with doing one deal and then it turned into doing, you know, 60, 70 deals a year for a lot of years. And then just, you know how it is like stuff bolts on. You're like, okay, well, let's keep some as rentals. And next thing you know, I have a rental company. And then it's like, I started coaching people and now I have a coaching business and you start to like bolt things on. Sometimes it's property management. It wasn't for me. I hate property management or being an agent or a broker or whatever. Like there's just things that you start to kind of bolt on that seem like logical tangents to get into. And that's really how it's been ever since then. For me, the coaching, I've coached like a ton of people over the years, either directly or certainly indirectly through all the stuff we've done online. And that evolved into me realizing that, hey, what I really love are the coaching students that are successful, like my star students or people that are become more of my peers. Like I really like being around other people like me that we can talk shop. Because when you're a coach for newbies, let's say, or when you're the leader of a company, you know, you appreciate everybody and you want to help everybody and you want all that, but you can't ever show weakness. Like you would never show your signs of weakness with people that you're supposed to be coaching because 
that would be a chink in the armor, you know? <laughs> right. But right. when you started to get around people that are like, that kind of had been down the same path as you, or, you know, at least in the real estate space, for example, and they're like, is this working for you? And I was like, you know, it's not really working as well as it. you could start to kind of open up and share like, I've got some weaknesses here. I'm not perfect. And none of us are, by the way, but it started, you know, I just kind of, I guess I got the most value and the most joy out of working around professional real estate investors. And then that's really when I started my mastermind. I said, look, I'm, I'm going to go all in on people that are operating at a high level because it's easier to help somebody in my experience get from 20, 30, 40 deals a year to 30, 40, 50, 60 deals a year to kind of double their business, triple their business if they're already an operator. Then it is to get somebody to go from zero to one. Zero to one is so hard because it's even not even about real estate. It's about the mental game that they have in their mind about does this even work? Yeah. What should I do about my job? My family thinks I'm crazy. Should I really invest in myself? Like all these things that are a big hurdle. And that's true for, I think for most entrepreneurs, I think there's a lot of people that are entrepreneurial but they, have, they haven't burned the boats yet. And so they have this safety net that holds them back because, and I've seen it with a bunch of friends that have spouses that have great jobs. It's like, did you think my wife's going to leave and she's going to start this new business? And then like the next week she got a promotion. And it's like, you know, now she can't leave right now. And it's just, that never ends. That goes on for 30 years then they retire. But <laughs> yeah. Yep. That sounds about right. Oh my goodness, Mike. I, I love your journey first off. And I love that you dove into the real estate space. And like you mentioned, you went from one flip to 60, 70. Yeah, we did How the hell? Like about 65 <laughs> or 70 deals in our first year, actually. Uh, you know, it's crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. But if you think of the situation, there were a couple of things. One was that I'd had like been sitting on back-to-back -back failures of in terms of losing a job, right? Jobs mm -hmm. like W2 jobs. My son was just born. And so all of a sudden I've been married for a couple of years. And so all of a sudden I'm like, you know, my wife and I actually had great paying jobs. Actually my wife made way more money than me as a consultant and, but she hated it. Right. And so, but she left her job to have our son. And so I'll, you know, pardon my French, but as I say, shit got real, real fast. I went from like two people making a good living to like no income and a baby. It's like, oh, okay, what are we going to do now? Right. And I think it was just that realization of kind of being backed into a corner, just living on savings and burning through savings is like, we've got to do something and it has to be a massive, right? Like it has, we have to move the needle here. And so I, I had known enough. I mean, some of the benefit of the corporate background was like, I think what appealed to me about real estate was the ability to someday have a business and not a job. Everybody wants that passive income or that residual income. And even though I, I feel like I have a lot more wisdom now than I did then, I knew at the time that I couldn't dabble, like we had to kind of go big. And so it was, you know, we had two strikes at that point through my jobs. It was like, I'm not going to strike out. So let's go. And it's clearly not that we haven't failed a bunch along the way, but we just went big. It worked out. <laughs> Love that, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, it's hard to talk about those failure moments, right? Like I used to say like, at one point in time, when I first started flipping, my middle name was non-sufficient funds because I was so bad at budgeting. And like, I didn't even know, like, you know, and then people would take checks out like two weeks later than after I gave them the check. And I'm like, oh, shit, I forgot about that check. Like just so much mismanagement and so many things that happen in yeah. the beginning that you just don't think about. And like, I remember being backed into a wall so many times in the beginning of my career. The first one to three years was like, ah! <laughs> right? So yeah. like moments are truly defining. 
Yeah, it's funny as I've always been like the face of our businesses or businesses for the most part. My wife is like a rock star. Like my wife would be probably a Fortune 100 CFO right now if she was still in corporate America. I mean, she's just it was an investment banker on Wall Street, has an undergrad in finance and a double undergrad in finance and accounting. So she is very financially savvy. In fact, she's a CFO on all of our companies now. So we always have this yin and yang, right? She's the brakes and I'm the gas, right? And it's caused friction. If anybody works with a spouse, you know that there's some could be some friction there. There could be friction either way. If you have the same skill set and you're so much alike, then that causes problems. And if you're totally different, then that causes problems. And so we've kind of, we used to say when we were, you know, doing all these deals for years like that, is that. If it was up to her, we never would have bought a single house because she's risk averse. If it was up to me, the finances would be so mismanaged that we would have been out of business a long time ago. You know, <laughs> we just kind of had that yin and yang that just worked out. And it's, you know, it's not without air. It's not without friction for sure, but it's worked. I love that. Mike. thank you so much for sharing that. And because you mentioned that you do coaching, you have your mastermind and you started operating and working with people at a very high level. And you saw it with your own businesses as you built them. Like what are some of the biggest challenges in scaling a business and what would be some advice that you would give anyone who's listening? One of our main companies now is uh, is a lead generation service for professional single family, but it's called the investor machine. And through all my coaching and everything that I've done, is that's the biggest struggle is to get people to invest in themselves. And it could be in people and processes. It could be in coaching. And it often is in marketing lead generation. Part of it is, I think, for a lot of real estate investors is they started, they had to by being scrappy, right? Like everything was the skin off your back, right? You're like, you're running around to Home Depot to check on stuff. You're trying to find contractors that are investor friendly because you're cheap and you're trying to stay in a budget or you overpaid for a house. Everything we're looking for is kind of value-based. I want to buy a cheap property. I want cheap contractors. I want to find a discount on materials. Like we're all just like cheap, 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 right? And the problem is, is like, if you lean into that direction too far and one, you don't value your time because a lot of times we do it because it takes up our time, but our time is a high value, right? And two is you trap yourself because of your time in the situation where it's a job. Like you, you're not willing to invest in somebody else, like an admin or an acquisitions person or somebody could be a, a, you're going to GC it yourself instead of hiring a contractor that knows what they're doing. You know, what I found is a lot of real estate investors are, they tend to be one of two things, either very good at sales. Like they have a lot of great salesmanship Mm -hmm. or they're very good at being detail-oriented, managing projects, but often they're never good at uh, generating leads and marketing. And it used to be when I was coming up that you could do almost anything, you know, in terms of direct mail or whatever, just like throw spaghetti at the wall. The margins are so high, you know, maybe it cost me a little more and I make $5,000 less on this deal, but it still worked out. And that's not how marketing works anymore. It's become way more efficient. And so, you know, we use a very unique approach to data for how we identify people that should be marketed to. Things have just gotten way more efficient. And so, but through all my coaching and all this time, the single biggest question is always like, how do I generate more leads? What's the best list to mail to? Like all these things. And eventually I was like, screw this. I'm just going to start a company that does it for people. It's turned out great for us and them. That's amazing. And that's that's also what I've learned too, is some of the biggest companies, it's the lead generation and the marketing that gets them to scale at ridiculously high levels. Because then at that point you can- yeah have the revenue to support a whole organization to build that all up, which is 100%. And markets are different. The margins in Boston where you're at are way higher than they are in, you know, Des Moines, Iowa, or some other markets, like the margins are different. So you have to think of all that, but a lot of people operate their business at a level where it's a job. If you're doing in our business, typically, if you're doing a deal or two here and there, 
then you can't afford overhead, not as much of it. So you can't afford to have a team. You can't afford to maybe have an office and you're probably not reinvesting back into marketing. And so if you think of like your business, and this is not just real estate, this is all small businesses in my experience. They operated enough to where they can be an owner operator, but they couldn't afford themselves if they had to pay themselves a salary, right? If there's anything left, they keep it. And a lot of entrepreneurs do well, better than they did in their kind of J-O-B, W-2 job, but it's because they're running it. So there might be somebody that runs a subway and the owner is actually making sandwiches. And that's the only way that business makes money or survives, right? But if they had to pay a manager to run the store, then it doesn't work. And part of it is they just aren't scaled up to a point to where they can recover the expense of the person running it so or the marketing. So in our business, said another way, and every market is different. Your market would be, would be different than Dallas for sure where I'm at. But in Dallas, let's say, if you do a deal or two a month, you're not doing enough volume to support a salesperson because they're not going to be happy making a commission on one or two deals a month. So therefore, you're kind of stuck in this job situation where if you did four deals a month, let's say, now you can afford the overhead it takes to run your business. You've kind of scaled up beyond that expense that needs to support the business, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that. I was uh, was listening to, um, was it Gary Keller's Millionaire Real Estate Agent? And like... The red light, green light method where it's like, try this one thing out first, right? Like make sure you have enough capital to bring in this person and then stop. And then so it, it avoids like overspending. I'm like, well, that's nice because for me, like, I'm just like, let's just invest in all these, <laughs> let's just yeah. invest in all these things. So it's like the right tools to invest, to scale is really lies in the lead generation and the marketing if you will, which is amazing. And so I love that you saw that opportunity. So it's amazing to hear your journey. So like you started with flipping houses and then from there you started the mastermind. And then from there, you basically created all things. You're like, okay, what are the problems in this market? And then create all the data and all the community to do, which is- Even in real estate investing, we're we're problem solvers, right? Like we're trying to help sellers out of difficult situations or whatever the situation might be. So that that really is what all businesses is, right? It's solving somebody else's problem. And so- We've just tried to identify where the biggest problems are and attack them. Now, there's some problems that I don't want to take on, (laughs) but, uh, you know, I've also kind of tried to gravitate towards the things that I also enjoy doing, which is one of the benefits of being in business for a long time is you can kind of pivot your way around and find something that not only is a problem that people will pay you to solve, but hopefully is something you enjoy doing as well. I love it. I love it. And and Mike, so what has been one of your favorite moments in business? Like one of your most memorable moments? And then we can parallel it to one of the worst. <laughs> okay. Favorite, you know, I think favorite is, uh, I'll, I'll go back a ways. When I realized, and this, this would go back to our first couple of years, when I realized that I'm never going back to work for somebody else. Like I'm, and now I'm like completely unemployable. Like nobody would want me. I'm too opinionated and they couldn't afford me. Right. And so that's a cool place to be. But early on, I think I realized in our first couple of years, because we were doing so much volume that we're making more money than we ever would have made. You know, I remember, so this is going to sound like I'm bragging. I don't say this, I'm not trying to be like, you know, cheese ball, but I remember thinking that I had worked for the CEO of a $5 billion company and I knew what he made. It was public information. And I was like, I'm making more than those guys. And I was just a couple of years on my own, you know, it was like this realization of how much opportunity there is for entrepreneurs to make a great living without this traditional corporate path. Right. So just this realization, there's a lot of ways to make money that don't involve having to necessarily put on a suit and tie or having to get up and work a nine to five. There's a different way. So that was probably, I'll say one of my high points. I've had plenty of high points since then, but 
Uh, that was an early one. I love that. Well, what's awesome about that is just like you own your time. Your time right. doesn't own you. And I think that's the most valuable thing that a lot of entrepreneurs early on, they don't understand the value of their time, right? So like yeah. when my parents growing up and like, you know, we were in the restaurant industry, uh, our standard was if you're not working 16 to 18 hours a day, or, you know, sometimes, right? Sometimes it's 12 hours, but if you're not doing that, then you're not successful, right? But then like you look at it and it's like, what about all that opportunity cost in that time that you just wasted? You don't own your time. Your right. time owns, you exactly. know, your business own, owns you basically. And that's not, you know, that's the owner operator mindset. So I love that you mentioned that, that it's like, Hey, I got past this level and I basically can do what I want. And that's the beauty in entrepreneurship. You know, you sacrifice in the beginning. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's a grind in the beginning. Right. But once you have yeah. it scaled out and you can rock and roll, it's like, that's the greatest thing in the world, period. Oh man. I love that. I love that. And Mike, now we're going to parallel it to what were some of like the worst. It can be like a flip that you did that just went completely sideways or like anything like that. Yeah. I'll say there was a point where I really started doing a lot of coaching for new investors and our businesses were doing well. But I think back to this, uh, I was stuck in this place where I was relying too much on myself and my wife. It was putting pressure on our relationship to really kind of grow our business. And that was at a point where I was still hung up on, so I'll say kind of a couple of parallels. Now, when I start a business or I'm going to start a new venture, I start writing out like, who could run this for me? Who could I bring in to help with this? Because I know I can't do it all. And there was a time when I tried to do it all, right? I was trying to do everything and living in my truck, like visiting rehabs, like nonstop, taking calls like all day long, you know, just those the days that were just a grind, right? And I remember this realization of I was with my wife and I were in the car and I had just left this coaching event that I had. And this, somebody had said something like, someday I want to be as successful as you. And I remember we were sitting at this red light and I just was sitting there. I was like thinking about all this. And I said out loud to my wife, I said, is this what success feels like? Because I, I wasn't feeling it. Right. And I think those were some of the early lessons of learning that you have to run this like a business. Otherwise it's a job. And the truth is, is I say that, and I, we have some businesses now, one of our businesses, we have hundred employees. Like we we've kind of scaled up, but the truth is, is I still work almost as hard as I ever have. When I go on, we travel a lot, but I'm always working. I'm always thinking about things. It's a little different now because I can focus more on what I like to do, but I'm not the type of guy that's ever going to retire and sit on the beach and do nothing like that's, that's just not in my blood. But the point of that is uh, the low was like realizing that I'm in my own way. And in order to build something special, you have to find a way to build a team to have people help you with what you use your vision and help execute what it is that you want, because that's what a business is. Otherwise, it's just a job. 100%. Mike, thank you so much for sharing that. That was one of the hardest things I had that I had realizations on with too, like is to kind of surrender. Cause in my head, it was like, nobody can do it as good as me. And I'm sure we had parallel, like similar mindsets with that. Like nobody yeah. can do it as good as I can, you know, right. and then you find yourself working those, you know, is this what success feels like? And you're just kind of like, okay, no, I need a team here that can execute. It took me so long to break that mindset too. And it's like, I remember you just saying that. And I'm like, yeah, I was there not too long ago. <laughs> Not yeah. too long ago. It's, it, it's the entrepreneur's biggest hurdle, I feel like, to like allow somebody to come into your business and like be part of that and take over a certain role. You know, it's amazing. Yep. Amazing. It's hard because again, we, we got there by being scrappy and, you know, uh, keeping the overhead low and all those things. Right. And, and putting our head down and working hard. But, you know, what what got you to where you are isn't going to get you to the next level for sure. 
Amen. Thank you so much for sharing that, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing that. And earlier when we were speaking, you were mentioning that you have this like restlessness about you that like, it's just constant, like you're living in the future. And when you were saying that, I was like, he is me. I am him. <laughs> I was just like, what? what is this, you know? And so what's going on in your world in the next like 12 months? What's happening? You know, I'm really, I'm at a point now where I'm just really focused on, we have some things that are working really well. I have my mastermind called Investor Fuel that is for professional investors. We actually have bolted on, a, it was prime for the past four and a half years. It's primarily been single family mm-hmm. uh, investors and we have about 150 members. But in the past uh, six months, we launched multifamily groups, which is mostly what I invest in myself now. And so just focused on, I mean, honestly, it's all the things I do professionally that I get the most joy out of just being around a hundred plus amazing other kind of entrepreneurs and givers and people that are open up to what's going well and what's not and sharing with each other so they can take help each other kind of almost like a board of advisors for each other. Right. And so I'm not really trying to do anything new. I'm just trying to do what I do now better, if that makes sense. And so there was a time where I'm constantly creating all this new stuff and I'm trying to innovate inside of what I already do instead of trying to, you know, take on something completely different at this point. But between that and our agency, um, the investor machine, really just kind of focus on growing that and serving our members and clients and stuff like that as best we can. Love that, Mike. I love that. And so to anyone who's listening, who's maybe in the real estate space, real estate investor or an entrepreneur listening in general, what is your biggest piece of advice that you would give them? You know, back to what we've already talked about is just treat it like a real business. Like if you feel like you're in a position where it's a job and the truth is, is like social media, like people on social media, and I use a lot, I, I'm a, probably an addict to Facebook as well, but it's not the real world. You're seeing the best part of everybody. And so when you see people posting checks or fancy cars or whatever, I mean, for them, most likely that's marketing to try to attract people into something else, right? And there's nothing wrong with fancy cars or big checks for sure. But just know that that's not like every day in somebody's life typically. So this is hard work. Anything you want to do is hard. It'll get harder before it gets easier for most people because you've got to build it up so so it's like a real business so you can step out. I mean, I don't think there's any entrepreneur that said, I want to start a business that I could never leave. And if my kids get sick, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss their sporting events and I don't ever want to go on vacation again. Yet there's a lot of entrepreneurs that find themselves in that situation of they can't afford to or they can't pull away for one reason or another. And That's not what anybody started for. So you got to kind of get back to why you're doing this in the first place. Oh, that Mike, thank you so much for sharing that. And now my favorite question, which is what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? I would say to be open to sharing more. So my first couple of years in real estate, again, we had just kind of come out of a depression for us, if you will, losing a couple of jobs and having to kind of support my family and things like that. And I I think part of it was from the corporate background that I came where it's like a, it was really kind of a dog eat dog world. Like everybody's jockeying to get that next promotion and who's going to, you know, somebody just left, who's going to take over that person's role or whatever. And so there wasn't, you know, a lot of sharing, I'd say it was just very much like people angling for themselves. So my first couple of years as a real estate investor, when I started to think I had some secret sauce, I just, I didn't really want to share it. Like, I don't really want to talk about what's working for me because I felt like somebody's going to take something from me if I open my mouth. Right. And so uh, the reality is it got to a point to where I started talking openly about what I'm doing, bringing people. I started doing some, I called it rehab live. It was basically just come watch me rehab a house. Like we'd have like 30, 40, 50 people show up and just kind of watch us rehabbing the house. And we would meet there at the beginning and the middle and at the end and talk about it. Partly because I had just gotten, we went from big corporate jobs with lots of birthday parties and happy hours and stuff to like 
my wife and I in some dumpy little office with uh, nobody around us to talk to. So, so some of it was just the social side of like, I need to get around people a little bit. But when I started sharing what I was doing, amazing things started to happen. Like people are asking if I need money, I'd like to lend to you, or can you coach me on how to do this? Or I have a deal. Would you buy it from me or can we partner on it? And all of these opportunities started to come from me actually just sharing what it is that I do which was second nature to me. And so I think there's a lot of people that feel like they have some knowledge and maybe they don't share it for some reason. So if, if that's you, I would say, just share what you know. You'd be surprised at how many people don't know even what, even if you feel like we get this imposter syndrome, right? We're like, well, who am I to share what I know? And it's like, you know, so much more than a lot of other people. And there's so many things that can come from that if you just open your mouth. Love it, Mike. Thank you so much for sharing that. And now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness, all your companies, everything. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So uh, you can find me on Facebook, Mike Hambright, hanging out there for sure. Investor Fuel, we talked about is our mastermind. We actually have some links. We want to know if you're a friend of Pam. So if you go to investorfuel.com slash underdog, we'd love to schedule a call with you. If you're a professional investor, we don't generally work with new investors. So those are more seasoned investors. We have people that are doing 10 deals a year and we have people that are doing six, 700 deals a year. So kind of anywhere in that range, we work with experienced investors in the mastermind. Our uh, data company and lead gen agency is called The Investor Machine and it's theinvestormachine.com slash underdog. Uh, same thing. If you're a professional investor and you're looking to get help with your lead generation, there's a short video out there you can watch to see if it makes sense for us to jump on a call and talk. And then everything else I have, I have thousands of hours of kind of free content on my original podcast site, which is flipnerd, F-L-I-P-N-E-R-D.com. So you can go out there and get access to thousands of hours of past shows like similar to this and lots of other free information at flipnerd.com. I love it, Mike. Thank you so much for being here today. You are a total rock star, my friend. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love. All we know is overtime, working like some underdogs. Underdogs.